Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I didn't get a whole lot watched this week, because for the most part, this week I was packing up and moving away from Casa de Juan to stately Bailey Manor. So, this will be the first episode recorded in a long time, honestly, since uh, 2018 from stately Bailey Manor. So, uh, this week we were going to be covering uh, Disney Plus's Artemis Fowl, as well as the entirety of Bob's Burgers, because I binged that over the last month or so, as well as the new Pokemon series that Netflix acquired. Uh, Pokemon Journeys is what they're calling the new season. And then uh, we're going to stop over at Patreon Corner for a little thing called Fast Color. Let's get things started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. So yeah, I think I mentioned in recent episodes that I was going to be moving back in with the family uh, and uh, away from the solo household and homestead that I was uh, essentially in charge of. Um... And it's it's taking some getting used to. Most of the week was spent not really getting able to work on anything because we've been packing. <laughs> and now um, nothing's really unpacked yet because the room where I'm staying isn't quite ready yet. There were still some like minor things that need to be finished and then th- it'll be ready for, t- you know, the studio to go up and, you know... The, the new Popcorn Junkie Studios in stately Bailey Manor will be up and running. But until then, I'm just kind of finding a place to record that I'm where I'm out of the way and they don't have to hear me and I don't get interruptions over the mic. So, um, yeah, with that said, let's talk about something I did manage to get in this week. Artemis Fowl. Oh, boy. Uh, a lot of people were going the Gene Shallot route and going, yeah, there certainly was something foul about, foul about this movie. If there's anything Artemis Fowl is, he's quite the turkey. <laughs> uh, I miss Gene Shalit. I never was alive for the majority of like the Gene of actual Gene Shalit. I grew up in the era of Gene Shalit parodies. Like Family Guy did Gene Shalit parodies. I think Simpsons did a bunch of Gene Shalit parodies. I think the critic may have done at least one Gene Shalit parody. But I feel like we need a modern day Gene Shalit who's just nothing but bad puns. Uh, in reviewing movies, it's be- it, it, it feels like that's the this would be the heyday of a gene of the new Gene Shallot. I don't know. I think somebody tried to do a Twitter account that didn't go anywhere, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, Artemis Fowl. I never read the books. I never got a chance to. That never. I never. I knew about them. I just assumed they were some fantasy thing. Like, okay, that's cool. It never piqued my interest. Um. But apparently, like, there was plans for a movie when the books were about to be published. And, like, the initial printing to the book promised a Disney-released <laughs> uh, uh, movie of Artemis Fowl. And it finally did happen. Just, you know, 20 years later. And not very good. So, yeah, this was initially planned to be released in theaters. And then, you know, gestures at everything happened. Uh, and Disney decided to pull it and put it on Disney+, Plus, which is probably a better move, because 
I will say I would have loved to see this flounder at the box office because this is a grade A turd from Disney. And this is coming from the guy who actually enjoyed BFG and uh, and um, Wrinkle in Time. Like, A Wrinkle in Time, I don't know how good of an adaptation it is. It's a decent movie in its own right. BFG, I think, is actually genuinely pretty good. Just nobody saw it. And now we're stuck with another Disney YA fantasy adaptation, and it is garbage. Complete and utter garbage. Um, basically, from what I'm understanding, being somebody who never read the books, it is a complete misrepresentation of the series in general. Like, it completely makes things up whole cloth in order to make Artemis Fowl out to be a better human being. Because apparently Disney is too chicken to actually have a, you know, bad person be the protagonist. Despite the fact that, you know, Han Solo kills people. <laughs> like, oh no, we can't have bad people as protagonists. Han Solo is a smuggler who kills people. Like, the whole point of Solo is to establish why Han shoots first like are you kidding me come on and uh not to mention the fact that you know there have been plenty of times that like kids being you know bastards and being villainous has worked like i think is i think kirsten dunn's character is pretty villainous in, in, in an interview with a vampire i i have no idea but like you could make you know little evil bastard kids work the Omen went on for how many fran how many <laughs> entries in the franchise? So the, I don't buy into that. I think they were just I think they were too beholden to the Harry Potter formula. And you know what this feels like? Remember in the wake of Harry Potter when every uh, live action fantasy YA adaptation was trying to be Harry Potter, like Bridge to Terabithia was trying to be Harry Potter, and um. And uh, Spiderwick Chronicles was trying to be Harry Potter. Golden Compass was trying to be Harry Potter. Like, everything was trying to be Harry Potter. And this feels like then. This feels like somebody was somebody from 20 years ago was trying to make Artemis Fowl into another Harry Potter knockoff. And it didn't get released. And, and, it, was, and it fell through a time loop and ended, and ended somewhere in the present. It feels like a movie from 20 years ago is what I'm saying. And nope, it was made... Within the last year, by a well-respected director, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh got roped in to make probably the worst movie of his career. Honestly, like I don't—I haven't seen all of his movies, but like this is—I would say Thor was probably his big low point. Well, here, let's pull up his IMDb real quick. Okay, pulling up his directed films, we've got. Most most of his stuff was um, spill uh, not uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> um, I guess Mary Shelley's Frankenstein may have been considered the worst. Oh, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Um, never saw all this true. Don't know about that, but um, like his Shakespeare stuff is is pretty good. Fair, pretty you know pretty standard uh ad, you know Shakespearean adaptation flair. Apparently he did an adaptation of the Magic Flute too. Um, his Thor not bad, not terrible, but kind of the cheesiest low point. Uh, I have no idea how bad his Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is though. Uh, Cinderella by the numbers, fairly by the numbers. It's like he I don't even remember he directed it. It's on it doesn't have any of the Branagh touch. And then Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, 
yeah, that was probably the low point before this, if not um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which, again, I haven't seen. But this has to be his worst movie as a director. Just the absolute pits. I'm surprised he kept his name on it at all, because it does not feel at all... It, it does, it's kind of like with Guy Ritchie and um, Aladdin, where it doesn't feel like they even directed the movie. You have a big-name director that should have a certain style and flair to them, and none of it ends up on screen. Like, when I'm seeing... Like, when Thor, you see it's Branagh, because he brings that sort of Shakespearean um, air to the Asgardian stuff, while bringing a real, you know... Jokey bits to the human stuff to kind of differentiate it between it, but you get why you use Branagh for Thor because as you know, Asgard, Shakespeare, he talks with very old and oldie English um, dialogue. So yeah, that has his style to it. Cinderella kind of has kind of has his usual, you know, once again that sort of middle middle ages, well, post middle ages like. Uh, or late Middle Ages setting, style, fits for Branagh. This doesn't feel like anything Branagh has ever directed. It doesn't feel like Branagh had his hands on this at all. It feels like Branagh sat in the chair and yelled, cut. Because everything about this reeks of, honestly, Christopher Columbus's Percy Jackson. Like... Christopher Columbus's first two Harry Potter movies were good sort of starting off points for Harry Potter. It was a kid's movie. You got a kid's director. But this feels like Percy Jackson where... And people are making the major comparisons to Percy Jackson up and down with uh, the lack of faithfulness to the to the source material, to, um, to a lot of similar comparisons in terms of tropes they use instead of the sort something that made it unique within the source material so this does kind of feel like christopher columbus's percy jackson it feels like christopher columbus has directed it but it was kenneth branagh and i don't feel like branagh had any real hand in this it feels like a completely you know disney machine pumped out film it feels like it didn't even have a director it just you know it just had um it had the mount and you know somebody doing the mickey mouse voice yelling and that's a wrap ha <laughs> and cut everybody action ha 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 um yeah it doesn't feel like a real movie it feels like a just an amalgam of ya tropes and harry potter knockoffs just molded around what used to be the basic premise of Artemis Fowl. Um, and for those who don't know, apparently in the books, he's much more of a little smart-ass, like, um, uh, he's kind of, it's it, it sounds like it's an uh, Ocean's Eleven kind of thing, only without the Eleven. It feels like it's like an, an entire movie about a little baby Irish Danny Ocean, and he's just going about committing heists in the fantasy world. And this movie has, like, none of that. It has, like, one moment, has, like, little bits where it kind of is like that, and then it's gone. And then it's all like, oh, woe is me, my daddy's gone, and I need, and, you know, like, really, you know, just lame, heart-wrenching, like, feel bad for me because otherwise I'm an irredeemable character as though, like, that would be the worst thing ever. Like, my favorite movie from Disney in recent years was about a villain. He was redeemable in some regards, but he was still technically a villainous character. It was just, he was the protagonist, and they managed to write around that to make the villain the protagonist. Wreck-It Ralph is so much better movie, you guys. Just watch that instead. Uh, 
But apparently it gets even worse. I was watching some of uh, Film Brain's uh, review that was part of his live stream with uh, uh, Allison Pregler and Mike Schicciano. And apparently in the books, the elves, the, the forces of Leprechaun, <laughs> are, um, are all uh, darker skinned. They're all like least uh, they. I forget what Allison said it was, but basically they're of a darker complexion. And in the movie, they're all played by white folk. And then the one assistant character, the one who's like the techie centaur character, is the one like real person of color playing a role in the move in the in this leprechaun agency. And then the subservient character, the butler, literally the butler, the one who you know the basically the Alfred to Artemis Fowl's uh, Batman is a Eurasian guy. So he's a Ru- big old Russian dude, essentially, in the books. And they just made him black because they decided not to make the leprechauns black for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. It's like they decided, oh, we ha- we have this massive army of people of color. Nah, let's not. that. N- no, let's not do that. Oh, we have the one, you know, character in... <laughs> In a, in a subservient role to the protagonist. Sure, we need to add more black people. Let's make that one black. God damn it, Disney. Were we still doing this in 20 goddamn 20? Uh, so yeah. Um, but yeah, like, even without comparing it to the book, the movie is just not very good. It feels like one of those Harry Potter ripoffs fell in a time loop and came out in the present. Because everything about this reeks. Even the effects reek of, like, Spiderwick Chronicles, mid-aughts, late-aughts, Harry Potter wannabe. That's how bad these effects are. And this is from people, from Disney, who was able to do freaking Jungle Book and Lion King photorealistic level CGI. <laughs> and yet they decided to pull their punches on Artemis Fowl. Oh boy. So yeah. Uh, the, the leprechauns have their stupid Green Goblin, uh, Sam Raimi Green Goblin armor. <laughs> uh, poor Judy Dench is forced to talk like she's had a tracheotomy. You feel like any... And then jo- Josh Gad comes in with a dueling gr- rasp, like every like they're trying to audition to play the live-action um, Roz from Monsters, Inc. I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching... That's exactly how they sound in this movie, and it's it's sad. Not to mention, and of course, the biggest killer of all is this kid is a is a bore. Like he tries at some points to be interesting and be the snarky, smart aleck kind of you know smartest kid in the room, but too often they make him like this. Oh, I want to, you know, like, oh, I wish my father stayed home with me. By the way, his mom is dead in the movie, but she's not dead in the book. So they just killed his mom because apparently that's what you do in Disney movies. So, yeah, this whole thing is just a hot, hot mess. This is going to be, unless something even worse comes out, this isn't on the level of Cats, but this is this year's. Every year has something like this, this big budget bloated hot mess last year it was cats this year unless something even worse comes out it's gonna i think it's gonna be this and sadly we didn't get to see it crash and burn in theaters oh well um moving right along to uh, another thing i've been watching lately is bob's burgers i have been re-watching the entire series um as i've as i've been working on stuff and my God, I love this show. It is really just phenomenal. Um, 
I think probably like, uh, I want to say maybe seven and eight, maybe my favorite seasons overall. But just the overarching, you know, show is just phenomenal. Um, you know, you, you get to, see, and of course, when you watch it from the beginning, you get to see the animation and steadily improve and pr- and improve. Then uh, all of a sudden, uh, by like seasons three and four, they're starting to go into whole musical numbers. And then by then by the current seasons, now like almost every episode has a musical number, and it's just like it's all so fantastic and i love it and you know the voice cast is phenomenal but uh h john benjamin and um eugene merman uh i forget the the guy who plays uh linda but uh he's phenomenal um the guy who plays uh tina is fantastic uh kristen shawl is phenomenal as Louise because you know, like you compare her to Louis as Louise to her as like Mabel Pines, you hear like the similar tone of voice, but there's so much difference within the characters. You hear so much like Mabel is much more of like a carefree, mercurial character who's play you know, like fanciful and loves to have fun, whereas Louise is a stone is like Hannibal freaking Lecter in a little girl's body. It is it is amazing to hear the difference, and she is fantastic. And not to mention the fact that there's you know, the recurring line of guest guest stars like Kumail Nanjiani shows up for a couple episodes. Kevin Klein <laughs> plays their land their eccentric billionaire landlord. Um, Zach Galifianakis is the billionaire landlord's crazy eccentric billi- uh, brother. Um, Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key will show up for a couple, of, you know, for various roles. Um, Caitlin Olsen from It's Always Sunny shows up as a character for like um, uh, Teddy, the uh, the unofficial sixth member of the family who's always kind of like there. Who started off really interesting. Teddy's arc is really interesting as you watch it grow. Because at first it's just, he's a regular customer. He's like the norm of Bob's Burgers. But then as the as the episodes go on, as the seasons go on, he begin, he takes more of an interest in help, you know, being there for the family and the, and, you know, specifically Linda takes a lot, takes interest in kind of accepting him as essentially another part of the family, like Uncle Teddy. Uh, the specific, not just the episode Uncle Teddy, but just like this idea of here's this guy, Teddy, who, you know, ideally is just a, a stranger, you know, in, in reality, would, it would just be a stranger who eats, you know, a recurring customer at the family restaurant is essentially this extension of the family. And I kind of, and, and, and for good or bad, like sometimes he's an annoying <laughs> asshole. Sometimes he's a really, you know, helpful and, you know, care, you know, caring dude. And it's, and it's really sweet. It just depends on how they're writing that episode. Because at some point, everybody in Bob's Burgers gets to be the asshole. Sometimes it's Louise, sometimes it's Linda, sometimes it's Tina, sometimes it's Bob, sometimes it's Teddy. It's a recurring, you know, whoever gets to wear the asshole hat, it it depends on how the writer's feeling that day. (laughs) How are we going to get the conflict to roll this time? Uh, Who gets to wear the asshole hat? (laughs) Um, But then you've got um, that uh, Irish, uh, uh, the Irish lady from Game Night, she plays a character that kind of pops in as like a, a, a part as like a love interest for Teddy. Jillian Bell from Workaholics shows up a couple of times. Um, they actually uh, they um, oh god did they they had I think Andy Samberg they've had Joe Latrulio uh, they've had um, Stephanie Beatrice as well. So I mean like everybody you know they get the rope they managed to get in people from 
you know, various from all over the comedy uh, scene and bring them in for guest bits every so often, and it's fantastic. And all the writing is phenomenal for the most part. And then, yeah, just the performances. This is Bob's Burgers is one of the few times I'll say like it's not perfect, but the improv is so well done, and I'm I'm assuming refined that you're able to enjoy it. Like, some of the bits feel improv Like, it's just something they got because they were recording all together. And then they'll animate that those bits. And sometimes and you can kind of tell where those bits come into this thing. It's always, like, the little one-liners and off, off you know, like, off comments. <laughs> but, um... I do, you know, I think it is kind of one of the weaker points of the show is that it does, you know, sometimes it does lean a bit too much on the improv and uh you know i think uh, but at the same time like you've got such a talented improv group there that it's it that they managed to stay afloat for the most part as opposed to like so many there's a there's a freaking will ferrell eurovision uh movie coming next week to netflix and i i i am kind of dreading it now at first i was like oh cool they're doing this whole thing with eurovision and it's got rachel mcadams and and pierce brosnan and there's um dan stevens and then oh my god it's another will ferrell movie where he's doing a where he gonna do the bits and oh my god he is so completely off his rocker um man it's gonna suck isn't it so yeah Looking forward to that next week. But, um, yeah, Bob's Burgers, if you haven't already, go back and give it a shot. It's on Hulu. But, um, yeah, just know that this is my jam. I love Bob's Burgers. And I think it's just because Lauren uh, Bouchard made such in really iconic characters. And so inter- and the actors really helped bring them to life. Um, so And, and you know, it's, it's all the kids as well. Like... Um, you know, like all these, this like H. John Benjamin plays Bob, and then the son of his rival, Jimmy Pesto, Jimmy Jr., who is Tina's love interest, is played by the same voice actor as her dad. I don't know what kind of Oedipal stuff they were going for, but whatever. And then the actor who plays Linda also plays the best friend to the mean girl, uh, Tammy. Um, uh, Jocelyn being the friend of Tammy. Played by Jenny Slate, who is another f- phenomenal comedian. So, like, yeah, it's a it's a great cast of uh, comedians doing, uh, so- for the most part, pretty solid improv. Way better than a lot of some of the sketch stuff that's been popping up on streaming services lately. Um, so, yeah, Bob's Burgers is good. And then lastly, the, the main thing I got the chance to watch was uh, the new... Uh, series of Pokemon. Uh, in Japan, it's called Pokemon. It's just called Pocket Monsters, which and and so it's referred to as new series uh, versus the old series because it shares the same name with the original run of uh, the anime. And then over here, they dubbed it Pokemon Journeys. And the basic premise for this is instead of basing it on Sword and Shield specifically, it is more based on Pokemon Go. In that. Ash is helping out a new professor based out of Vermilion City w- alongside Go. Kind of, you know, that makes, you know, as opposed to having the regional uh, female protagonist be his, uh, being his co-star this time. It's just a new character named Go, inspired by Pokemon Go. And Go's whole thing is he wants to catch every single Pokemon. Like, po- like in Pokemon Go. And... 
And so it's him and Go hopping from region to region. So Go can catch Pokemon from that region while also having these new adventures like um, studying Dragonair and Dragonite. Uh, they go and they watch an exhibition match between Lance from uh, the uh, Kanto Elite Four versus Leon, the champion of the Galar region. And it's a whole Dynamax battle. And... Um, then you know, so they all, so some bits all do take place in Galar, but most of it takes place in like various of the older regions. Like there's an episode that takes place in Sinnoh. There's one that takes place in Johto, and it's about Ho Oh, Johto Ho Oh Oh No. <laughs> Sorry. Um. But yeah, it. So I mean, there's. It feels more eclectic. It feels more like um. It's like you know how you'll have those friends. Or the, you'll know those people who are like, I don't have, you know, it's, it, 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 I don't have a destination in mind. It's all about the journey, man. And that's kind of a fitting, you know, t- subtitle for this series because it is all about the journey. It's not so much about following the plot of one of the games anymore. It's just Ash and Go going off and trying to catch Pokemon, go, going off and studying Pokemon. Ash is a, essentially a research assistant and he and Go are going to, Find and study Pokemon. Go's gonna catch them. Ash is gonna train them. And uh, it's been interesting so far. Like, in the Japanese run, I've been keeping up with it. Ash gets some really hot, heavy hitters uh, over the course of the series. But um, the only one you really see in this in this run, part one, they're calling it, is um, Dragonite. He catches a freaking Dragonite. <laughs> you know, instead of going around, I'll catch the local bird. Oh, I'll catch maybe the stellar maybe one of the starters. Oh, I'll catch uh, another new type. Here it's just like, nah, Ash catches a freaking Dragonite because why not? This is we're not we're not running playing by anybody's rules. It's it's Calvin Ball, the Pokemon series. So yeah, it's it's something alright. Um the animation is about on par with Sun and Moon, if not a little more stilted, there's a lot of reliance on still shots. I think they're cutting some corners, but that was also right before the coronavirus hit too. So who's to say? It's hard to say how much you know how much they were really able to get put into it. So yeah, like all of this is starting to come out mid coronavirus. It's hard to say how much of it um, was affected by that because X and Y had phenomenal animation. Sun and Moon had even, you know, like even more fluid animation. Here it feels a bit more stilted. It honestly feels like they're relying a bit too much on still, you know, still shots as opposed to a lot of the fluidity you saw in Sun and Moon. And once again, that could just as very well be because of the, you know, the, 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 pan, the you know, worldwide plague that's damning us all to hell. Um... Yeah, like, the first episode of this whole run is an origin story for Ash's Pikachu. We see it as a Pichu and learn, like, learn about some of its adventures before it even was caught by Professor Oak, which is really sweet. We also get to see Mimey, um, Ash's, um, family, like, helper Pokemon, like, for those who don't follow the series, uh, in the first season, Ash and Ash's mom befriends a Mr. Mime and names it Mimey. And for the most part, it is essentially like a butler, a, you know, an assistant cook. Like, she's a housekeeper. Uh, Mimey is just kind of there to help around and be in a second set of hands for Delia. And this run, Mimey is hanging out with Ash instead of with Delia. And Ash gets to use Mimey in battle and it kicks major ass. (laughs) 
Mining is a killer. <laughs> Don't let it fool you. Um, it actually gave me mad respect for my Mr. Mime and make me reconsider use make me reconsider wanting to use. I mean, I did use um, Mr. Galarian, Mr. Mime, and sword and sword. But I mean, like, it makes me want to try and try and use some Mr. Mime again, just because you know, my Mimey's Mimey's a badass dude. <laughs> Mimey's a killer. Um, and then it ends on a cliffhanger, which I think is a good place for it to end. Like, it, it hooks you in for, like, what's going to happen next. Um, basically, there's a point uh, when they're in Galar where um, a giant, a Gigantamax Dreadnought is, is, is set loose. And that's kind of the in-between point of a two-parter where they're set in Galar. And that's going to be, the, and that's where they end this per, first part. So set part two is going to start with them dealing with the Gigantamax Dreadnought. And it's going to, and then it gets really wild from there. It's, um, I will say this, I don't like Go too much. I think Go's kind of an asshole, even for like 10 year old kid anime standards. But I, I don't know. I feel like I would have much rather, if they wanted to do something like this, have Go have his own series. And then Ash can just do the normal thing. You know what it is? It's changing the formula. They changed the formula and I don't like it. <laughs> Why don't they go back to re to copying the game plots and recreating the plot of the games and then they can do this stupid thing on the side. I hate it. <laughs> I think that's kind of what it is. It's stupid nostalgia goggles butting in. But um, no, if you got the chance and you want to see how Pokemon's doing, give it a shot. It's, it's not... Great. I think Sun and Moon may be better as far as an anime, uh, especially like the dubbing. But um, it's not terrible. It's uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 kind of digging it. So I'm very interested to see how it catches up. And I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna focus more on the Japanese side of things and then see when the uh, American dub catches up. But yeah, that's all I got the chance to watch this week. So we're gonna take a quick stop over to Patreon Corner. And now, a stopover on Patreon Corner. Alright, this time around, we're going to be talking about the very sadly um, unseen uh, superhero movie, actually, <laughs> turns out. Uh, Fast Color. For those who don't know, you may have seen an article sometime last year about this hidden gem of a movie about three generations of black women who have superpowers. And that's this movie. Um, the star is Gugu Mbatha-Ra. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, uh, she is, she was Plumette in uh, the live action, the live action um, Beauty and the Beast, but she was just, re what did I just recently see her? Uh, she was in something recently. Because I remember you saying her name in something in a recent episode. Gugu Mbetterall. I think that's it. Gugu Mbetterall. Mbetterall. Gugu. Gugu Mbetterall. I don't know, I'll have to talk to her. I'd have to hear her pronounce her name. Uh, I'm not going to keep butchering it. But, um, yeah, she's an English actress. She was uh, in Jupiter Ascending, Free State of Jones, 
the Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, she was in A Wrinkle in Time, I think, as the mom. Uh, Misbehavior, Come Away, Motherless Brooklyn. What did I see her in? Dark Crystal! Age of Resistance, that's what I talked with her about. She was the, um... She was one of the, uh, Gelflings. The Gelflings! Uh, she was actually the... The, me, the, uh... The one I character I hated, the I liked the least, Celadon in uh, Dark Crystal. I knew I mentioned her recently, but uh, yeah, she's 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 definitely getting those roles. But um, yeah, in this she plays a a drug addict kind of returning home kind of prodigal child character, and she comes from a family of black women um, with superpowers. The superpower basically kind of it's kind of like the Phoenix Force. Um, for those who don't who know what that is, but for for the ba- for the basic for the basics, um, the main point of their superpower is they can deconstruct anything down to like it's do- down to like like dust, and then reconstruct that thing from the dust. But they can only reconstruct it as it was. They can't make it a new thing, so they don't have complete control over matter. But they can manage to break down and reconstruct. Um, various you know various parts of the universe so they they're kind of also like dr manhattan in a sense only they're not as powerful like a nerfed dr manhattan <laughs> but um yeah gugu and batara uh is playing the sort of strung out uh recovering addict uh who is on the run and then finds her way makes her way back home with her mom um who was raising uh, Raw's daughter, I'll call her by her, uh, character's name, Ruth, Ruth's daughter, so the mom is raising Ruth's daughter, and then, at the most part, the movie is just a family drama, it's about how this family is trying to deal with the mom running away, how they're concealing their powers, how they're using their powers, you know, then as time goes on, you begin to learn some truth, because at one point, there's a sheriff, played by David Strathairn, who comes into the picture, at first he's starting to investigate, um, an incident uh, where uh, Ruth was fighting back against a scientist who was trying to kidnap her and study her for the government. And that's kind of the main antagonist of the movie is this, this the scientist hoping to try and kidnap her and bring her in and start studying her. And, and But the main driving force of the movie is this family drama and how you begin to learn... Um, it's kind of like... Um, I don't want to say specifically Tennessee Williams, but I know he's had some things like this, but definitely like one of those stage plays. This could very easily fit into a stage play. You could make a stage production of this, uh, movie fairly easily. And because you said it mostly around the house where, um, where Ruth grew up and then you begin to realize these things about Ruth how she was an addict and she ran away from home and that you know you learn about these powers they've had Ruth's Ruth's main problem is that she's her using her powers causes her to suffer seizures and it's it really is um an interesting movie like this this isn't like any superhero movie you uh the closest thing I can think to like a mainstream superhero movie is like Logan and it's it's honestly I think a lit it's a lot more toned down from Logan. Logan still has those you know big blockbuster superhero beats, but like whenever people talk about like they're sick of superhero movies, I think what they're what they really mean is they're sick of the 
repeated tropes of the blockbuster superhero movies. But when you get a superhero movie like this, like Cloverfield, not Cloverfield, um, the other one, um, Chronicle, uh, like, um, like, uh, Super, or even, like, Brightburn, for, even though it wasn't great, but, like, when you deviate from the norm of the superhero quote-unquote movie, that's when you get some interesting stories. And it's, and the only problem, the reason people are getting, like, sick of superhero movies is that we're getting fed the, you know, fast food version of superhero movies. We're getting fed the McDonald's of superhero movies, but there's some Bob's Burgers of superhero movies to be to be made. You just, you know, so don't just discount. That's why I try not to discount, like, a whole genre of anything. Like, oh, God, Westerns are so terrible. No, like, you, you find the good ones, and then, like, any genre, there's a whole bunch of, you know, churned out garbage to be met, fed to the masses. And sometimes you find really hidden gems in there, like this one. This, which sadly got buried and should be re brought back up because it's a really solid movie. Um, yeah, I think honestly, uh, this was um, once again suggested by my my current patron Mar, uh, and they suggested uh, they've been suggesting some quality content for this show. Um, the Dark Crystal, a scanner darkly. Like last week, we talked about drug addiction and. Um, sci-fi this week we're talking about uh you know this family of black women tr dealing with this shared power while the one kind of deals with her past trauma and uh, and it's this like it's just ah thanks mar for suggesting such great content but um if you would like to also suggest great content for me you can do so at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie and as little as one dollar a month gets you a gets you the ability to suggest content for me to review so yeah, um, I don't think I have a whole lot to add about this. It's, the ending is powerful, just really well done and executed. In fact, the effects on the superpowers are nice because they're subtle. Like you see, if you there's focused shots on the, the superpower in effect, but they're not like big tentpole like CGI pieces. It's played well enough that you can like the biggest pieces are in the climax and they're really well executed. Uh, the CGI effects by this, uh, by whoever did this movie are fantastic. And I think the only thing that I didn't get into was some of the dialogue felt a little cheesy. Like during the climax, the mom kind of goes off on this tangent of like, that we are the, we are the, you fear us and we are the chosen. We have come, we are bringing it, change the world needs. And it's just like, Okay, yeah, that this came right the hell out of nowhere. And then some of the points where they're fighting do, do kind of feel like overly written. Like the dialogue feels like it was written down and not something that would be said. And I get it. I sometimes I'm starting to catch a lot more of that now. Um, you see it a lot in like theatrical productions. Uh, things are things sound smarter when they're written out, but then when you try to perform them, they don't sound as well. They don't sound as good. And yeah, th I, there's bits and pieces of that here. So it's not like a perfect movie. Very few movies are. But I mean, that's not a knock against it either because it's a damn near perfect movie too. Because it's something that's really interesting that we haven't really seen before. And unfortunately, not a lot of people did see it. And if you haven't yet, please do because it is fantastic. So yeah, it's on Amazon Prime in the US. I don't know where it is in other countries. If you get the chance to watch it, please go watch Fast Color. It is fantastic so yeah that's our little stop over in patreon corner and uh after this break we're gonna come back and 
Discuss some heavy topics, folks. Strap in. hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying So yeah, I I mentioned we were going to be covering some heavy topics, and I meant it. In fact, it was so heavy, I wanted to bring in some extra voices to talk about it, but unfortunately, I'm not that big. And that's kind of to be expected, I guess. But um, if this comes up again, I definitely would rather wait until I can get some, you know, voices by by the people who are most affected by it, um... Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, media's response, specifically the whole HBO thing, um, the response to the Black Lives Matter protests. Specifically, HBO temporarily pulling Gone with the Wind from HBO Max. And um, it's going to be a rough one. (laughs) This This is very... This is a very touchy subject, and... Yeah, I'm probably not the best one to talk about it, but, you know, what else is there to talk about this week? Um, Spike Lee supporting Woody Allen again? We're going to bury that, bury, you know, dig up that whole controversy and, you know, ask why people are still defending a freaking pedophile? But, anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, and, of course, if you are, uh, if you know, if you have... A, some thoughts of your own as somebody who is, you know, actually affected by the, you know, by what we're protest, by what, by what people are protesting. Please, I would love to hear your thoughts on this subject. But basically, I have issue with the idea of media hiding things that they're not proud of. Um, I think part of it is that. Media companies don't know how to respond to what's going on. Individual people are doing great things. Like, I think Chris Evans is uh, helping to raise uh, raise money and also elevate voices um, in the protest movement, as far as I know. Uh, there are definitely other celebrities who are just in it to, like, oh, can't we all just get along? There's another thing that was, like, that stupid Imagine Um uh, video that was going around where they're just trying to like hold hands across America and let's all let's all let's all be nice to one another, you know, while people are dying in the streets. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of tone deaf responses to what's going on, but um, media companies seem to be going a different route. Firstly, uh, Paramount Networks, um, which I think is owned by Viacom, 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, but whoever their parent company is, they finally pulled the plug on cops. And they've also pulled the plug, whatever, I think it's MTV, another Viacom, whatever, another Viacom channel. Uh, they've pulled the plug on Live PD. As well as Paw Patrol. Which, I don't think anybody genuinely had an issue with Paw Patrol. The only time I've ever heard negative, um, negative talk about Paw Patrol was in jest. Like, it's a joke. Like, all dogs go to heaven except the class traders and Paw Patrol. But nobody took that seriously. Like, it's, it's a kid's show about, like, emergency response dogs. Um, it's, it's a fantasy world. Like, nobody's... I don't think anybody that I know of... I don't know if it's a thing in other... I never actually watched Paw Patrol, so I don't know how bad it is, you know, pro problematic it is. But as far as I know, like... Nobody really genuinely cared about Paw Patrol as opposed to, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a much more commonly talked about piece of what is known as copaganda. And, um, it's a, that is, those are shows like Law and Order, uh, CSI, um, to a, you know, to a bigger, to a, to a, yeah, to the same extent, but similarly, NCIS. A lot of the p police procedurals are shown as copaganda, are considered copaganda because it's media that positively portrays law enforcement when, in order to kind of give them a good, give them a good image rather than, you know, showcase how negatively they can affect communities. And that's why people think of cops as still being like Andy Griffith. And not being like uh, the cops in Serpico, let's say. You know, years of... It's like it's also... You see it a lot. Media, because it's so expensive to produce, will subsidize it by, you know, letting the military promote... being Use it as a arm, arm of the... Arm of recruitment. So, yeah. <laughs> Media has a very, very um, close-knit relationship with authority figures and authority you know authoritative organizations let's say but um whether or not brooklyn 99 is something you should support being that it is a show that is you know like that's a thing that people have long long discussions about because in the in the at the end of the day it is a show that portrays cops in a positive light even if the show does but the show also has show an openly bi character has openly gay characters and is not negative and it, as as far as far as i can tell and as far as i've heard not has not had like negative stereotypes of those characters have had well written characters and so there's good positive representation but it's ultimately to serve the goal of making the police look good, you know, inadvertently. Because that's ultimate, because the cops are the good guys who stop the bad guys. And that's still the same dynamic that we've been fed all our lives. But it's not necessarily true. Uh, and we're starting to come to realize that, especially in the wake of um, years of and decades of training by the cops to be soldiers warriors to fight for their communities and yeah they're john oliver's whole piece about police is a must watch for anybody um it is just you know he bre he breaks down some of the things he that uh Asa minaj too has been covering some of the bit major stuff with policing and how it's been uh negatively reinforced to be terrible and it's no wonder that we're seeing, you know, once again, we're dealing with the same issues because they never went away. At any rate, um, back to the subject at hand, 
Um, should media companies pull these shows that um, portray police in a positive light? Well, I don't know that cops was a positive thing. Cops was always sem- seemed like, and I think Life PD was a sort of successor to that in that it was always kind of felt like trash TV. You know, here are the cops going after these red ne- uh, going after these rednecks or these trash people. Like it was always it it, it served as the por- per- as the inspiration for Reno nine one one. That's how I always saw cops as like this trash TV that was just always on. So you just sat there and consumed it when you had nothing better to watch. Um. But, uh, you know, like, once again, people are talking about Zootopia, which actually actively dealt with these issues, although it still landed on the side of the cops. And I guess the the thing that people are questioning is, you know, how much do we need positive cop-based media? And, and, but at the same time, like, is is canceling these shows going to help? How much is it going to help? Because, like, I don't think kids being raised on Paw Patrol are going to be, like, bootlickers to the state or anything like that. I don't think they're going to remember Paw Patrol after a certain point. They're going to move on to whatever the next big kid thing is. But, um... And when it comes to things like Gone with the Wind, I, I have had this discussion with my mom because she, you know, is, you know, keeps has fingers on the pulse as well, so is my dad. And we have these have these discussions, and she brings up the point that the that for the time they were seen as very progressive moments because Hattie McDaniel actively won a won the was the first black woman to win an Academy Award after as she was a nominee for Gone with the Wind. Do you want to erase that part of Black history? Is but but is winning. For the role of a very negative stereotype within the black community, you know, how much is, you know, it's a very, once again, all of this is problematic. The one thing the internet has forgotten is that problematic doesn't mean we hide it. I think that's the biggest problem is that, um... I think Warner Brothers handled it kind of well in terms of the Censored Eleven, which were these wildly, horribly racist cartoons. But they were preserved with Warner Brothers leading into the into the episodes by saying, these need to be preserved because we can't act like they didn't happen. Gone with the Wind is one of the biggest movies in the history of cinema. Birth of a Nation also was a very powerful movie in terms of moving the industry forward. They are also, Birth of a Nation, actively more racist than Gone with the Wind, but Gone with the Wind relies on very, you know, positively portraying the antebellum South and acting as, and kind of ultimately downplaying the severity of race, of slavery. You know, they, you know, my mom brings up the fact that, uh, the Mammy character in Gone with the Wind is kind of the maternal figure to the household. She is the essential head of that household. She is the, and that's why people gravitated towards her, as opposed to Scarlet, who was just a pain in the ass. Nobody cares about Scarlet and Rhett. Like, Jesus, who cares? But, um, this issue kind of ultimately goes all the way back to even the censoring of Huckleberry Finn. Like, people were outraged that you'd want to censor that book, but I think. I think, you know, the problem is hiding it doesn't do any good. It doesn't help you any. 
it's like um um oh um i'm thor thor uh ragnarok actually kind of tackles this in a in a really visual way let's take a look at how disney handled song of the south song of the south being the inspiration for splash mountain Song of the South being based on a collection of Southern, um, American Southern uh, folklore told by, um, you know, shared among the uh, black population. I don't know if they were all slaves at the time, but it was shared among that culture. And it was codified and written down by a white dude so that it could be saved. And they were told by a fictional character named Uncle Remus. He was essentially the storyteller who related all of these tales to you. He's essentially like the Aesop, uh, ideally. Um, whether or not he's a very, you know, positive portrayal, you know, that's that's something not that's something outside of my pay grade. That's something I'm not qualified to really discuss about. But at the same point, like, that's kind of the that's kind of the the correlation. You know, Aesop is relating these fables. Uncle Remus is telling us the tales of Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear, and Br'er Wolf, and all of the critters that lived in, the, lived in this, uh, I'm assuming, antebellum south. But um, uh, at any rate, uh, the movie Song of the South, the animated bits, the p- bits with Br'er Rabbit, are the, are the only parts that are good in that movie. The whole thing takes place in, I think, Reconstruction Era South, and it, re- once again, completely downplays the severity of slavery to a point where it's just like, oh, no, they were just happy workers living alongside us. Nobody got, a- nobody hated each other. What are you talking about? And that just wasn't the case. I mean, even outside of the South, even up North. You know, black people were subjugated to all kinds of horrible racism. You know, you feel you. They, I think the 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 narrative that it was only the South that was racist negates the fact that there was just horrible racism up north. There still is. You know, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in America, and it's all segregated based on race. Like even down to like the European races, it's segregated. So, I mean, let's not pretend like the North is somehow devoid of racism. They like to pretend that they are to make themselves appear to be the good guy. Which I think ultimately comes down to the problem with this narrative. Uh, Good guys and bad guys. You see that with the cops portraying themselves to be the good guys fighting the bad guys. You see that with the North pretending, you know, playing the role of the good guy to fight the racist South. But things are a lot more complicated than that. Good guy, bad guy narratives are binary. They're they're black and white. And the world is a lot grayer. And we're not really trained to understand that from an early age. We're raised on black and white issues. We're not really raised on gray until we're much older. Which is probably a good thing. But at the same time, like having kids understand the moral grays and understanding, you know, that not everything, you know, not to believe everything you're told. By, especially by an authoritative figure all the time, um, you know, to, you know, look, you know, to pay attention to things and, you know, make your own decisions. I think that's something that's not really trained in us, except in, by certain families. You know, the family has to do that. Society itself wants good, obedient workers. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, but in turn, but back to what I was trying to say about like, Uncle. okay, back to the, 
uh, or Song of the South um, analogy. Uh, Song of the South, the movie itself, Disney has buried it to the point where the only thing remaining about Song of the South is Splash Mountain, essentially, and the song zippity doo And the only people who remember actually seeing Song of the South were people just before I was born. And people who were born, you know, about the time, just before I was born in 1988 is when they, when they really started to clamp down on re-show, on re-releasing uh, Song of the South. Uh, but that comes more, but is that the best solution? Because that feels more like in Thor Ragnarok, where Disney is painting itself up like Odin did, but hiding the darker underbelly, including things like Song of the South, the Crows from Dumbo, the the centaur, the one centaur from Fantasia, the various depictions of uh, you know racism, and of course the the very you know the history of Walt himself being very anti-worker is all stuff that should be addressed but is buried so that you only see the squeaky clean image of the of the mouse and i think that's why i'm not ultimately in favor of just just completely doing away burying problematic media like it shouldn't be elevated to be like everywhere maybe um but at the same point like Warner Brothers has been, you know, the way Warner Brothers handled the Censored Eleven, I think, is what media should do with their depiction, their, you know, like, like, people aren't going to be, like, we should, like, we can't just pretend that Mickey Rooney didn't put on, you know, put in fake teeth and squint his eyes to play a Japanese man in Breakfast at Tiffany's. We can't pretend that, you know... John Wayne put on brown face and played, tried to play an eight, tried to put on, you know, tried to put on makeup and play Genghis Khan. Or I think he put on, put on brown face and put on, and played like a Mexican character as well. <laughs> we can't pretend these things never happened because it comes up again. Recently, in quote, solidarity, unquote, with Black Lives Matter, uh, influencers, God, I hate that term have taken to social media by darkening their face with makeup, saying it's in solidarity. They're showing a sign of solidarity by donning blackface for some reason. Like, what is what is the point? What is the message? What are you trying to convey with your point, you idiots? <sighs> this is like saying that you're trying to show solidarity by dropping N-bombs. You know? Like, oh, in, sh- in a sign of solidarity with... <laughs> with the plight of the African-American, I'm going to start saying the N-word more. What? How? Why? Why would you? No. Please don't. But, um... It's... I mean, think what it comes down to is we need... The only way to improve our situation is to actively learn and prevent the same mistakes from our past. History, um... Is a great is the best teacher because it teaches you that nothing has fundamentally changed. The same issues that are going around now have been there since the sixties, since the twenties, since the civil since the civil war, since before then. These issues don't go away. You need to actively, continually fight them. You can't just be like, oh, well, elect the first black president, racism's over. 
Uh, you can't just be like, oh, we passed the Civil Rights Act. That's it. Racism's over. We won the Civil War. Racism's over. We did it, guys. No, you need to actively, continually fight these issues because they don't just go away. They're, they take years, if not generations, to undo. So you can't just make it, away, make it go away overnight. You have to actively fight for positive change. And when it comes to the media, these media portrayals of, you know, black stereotypes and uh, positive portrayals of cops when in reality they're much more, much, they're much, they're much worse than they are portrayed in the media. You can't just pretend those didn't happen. You have to actively fight it, though. And I think the problem is, like... Brooklyn Nine Nine tried to try to do a thing like try to put out a thing that oh next next season we're just gonna only talk about Black Lives Matter it's gonna be a Black Lives Matter season how is that helping unless all proceeds from the advertising revenue is gonna go directly into the Black Lives Matter movement in the NAACP how is that helping how are you helping <laughs> I think. So many in, in, in like entertainment are wildly unqualified to handle these real issues that they come off as completely tone deaf to the problem. And that's why you get things like the Imagine video or the whatever it was that was going around recently. And you get things like the blackface by influencers. And you, get, you have people who have no idea, who aren't listening to what's going on and what people are asking for. And I think and I think what it comes down to is that's what we need to do. We need to actively we can't just pretend like, oh, we're never gonna air Song of the South again. That doesn't solve the problem. You know, we're gonna take, you know, we're gonna I think what it comes down to is you can't hide your past. Hiding it doesn't make it go away. It just means we're gonna somebody's gonna have to dig it up later. But you need to address it and and improve yourself going forward. Uh, Aaron Hansen got into a bit of a flack because he was he was he was asking around how to best address the protests, considering that Game Grumps, especially the early years of Game Grumps, had a lot of racially charged humor. And he wanted to address that and not pretend like it never happened while making a statement by as as the president of his company. And he worked and he talked with people and he eventually made a statement addressing that he, they had they had, they had you know some they had to improve they had to realize that what they were doing was wrong and be better. And that is kind of what you need to do. That is like the bare minimum. That is ultimately the bare minimum of what you need to do is recognize that it's... Oh, God, who was it? Um, somebody... Oh, um, Vogue was um, trying to be... You know, try to show solidarity with the movement. And then people had to come in and say, Oh, but remember all the, the racist stuff that you, like, have a history of? And you have... And it's like... You can't just pretend to have solidarity with us when it's in vogue. <laughs> but but you have to actively learn from your past mistakes. I mentioned this honestly I uh, uh if you aren't watching my uh Pokemon Let's Play channel, you should probably not do that. It's not very good. But no, nah, I um 
I don't know if it's out yet, but I in recent in, in a recent episode, I actually discuss an issue, you know, some of my own issues with. Um, I think it's going to come out later this month, maybe I don't know. Uh, but it's an it's an hour long episode of me grinding. But I talk about part of it is me talking about my past issues in my own problematic nature. The fact that, and in one instance, there was in. Uh, a classmate of mine, a girl, uh, a woman of um, Middle Eastern descent, don't remember which country specifically, but she would often make racially charged jokes against herself. One day in the middle of class in front of the professor, I thought it was cool to do that as well. I was not a very, you know, socially conscious child. Well, adult. Person. I was not very good at social cues and picking up on what things are, are good to and to not say for a long time. That's what being on the spectrum does to you. But, um, but yeah, and when I realized what I had done and th- how I had hurt this girl, this woman, by saying these things, I, re- I made, you know, I made sure to make amends. And she eventually ended up dropping out for, um... Her own reasons. I forget if it was like financial or if she just had a dip or if she like uh, transferred schools. I forget what happened. It's been over. It's been almost a decade. Damn. Damn, I'm old. But um, she went on. And I hope she's living a uh, a, a happy. I hope she's living a, a nice, well, you know, loved life and what all that. But. I also, you know, so I mean, I'm not without my own problems. I have a problematic past as well. The only way to really make amends for that is one, acknowledge it; two, work to work with the people that you've hurt by being in that problematic sense. Um, you know, a you know, a minority group of whatever kind, uh, sexual minority, a. Uh, you know, a racial minority, ethnic minority, work with that group and show them that you are listening to them and listening to their issues and listening to their their lives and and are paying attention to them so that you know not to make those same mistakes again. Listen, sit back, shut up, and listen. And I think that's kind of the big thing is that, you know, they'll say it for all sides, but I think the biggest thing is that there's a, there's a side that is mostly unheard. And until that side is actively heard and addressed, it's not, you know, then we can't, we can't keep go forward. We have to acknowledge where we messed up and actively make, make good on that. We can't just act, you know, we can't just pretend like, oh, put these band-aids on. There we go. Cancer secured. <laughs> and that's what we've been doing for centuries. And it's no wonder that we, these problems never really go away. So, yeah, we're going to have to keep having these conversations because that these pro- until these problems actually go away, we can't we can't stop talking about them. You know, um, like my mom, <laughs> everyone's mom will tell them, like, do, the, you know, you, you, they'll complain about. Somebody, a wife, a mom, a parent, you know, a dad, uh, you know, a significant, uh, some other significant other, uh, whoever, somebody in their life is is nagging them, telling them, you know, you should, you need to do this, you need to do this. But if there is, but if we, there aren't people saying, hey, we need to keep moving forward, we need to stop doing this, this is problematic, we need to address this issue, 
then those issues go unresolved and you have whitewashing in a disney movie in 20 goddamn 20 because we haven't addressed the actual issues at hand we haven't actually addressed the problems that are going on within the industry we think putting uh blacking out our 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 social media profiles and making a nice statement is going to solve the problem no no we need to address when we goofed when we done goofed (laughs) sorry um Anyway, yeah, uh, I, I think I kind of hit all my points. It was a bit tangent, tangential. But yeah, I think, because I know HBO Max is bringing it back, but with disclaimers, and I think they're going to have a, a roundtable discussion by, um, by a lot of uh, black, I think black, especially like maybe filmmakers or historian, film historians, to kind of really discuss the, you know, you know the impact of the movie. Uh, in terms of like the portrayal of black people within it, and I think, and I think what we all need to realize is that you know, just making a problematic thing go away isn't going to solve the problem. We have to actively address the problem. You know, we have to actively address the problem is there, and we can't just bury it. We can't just hide it under bandages and think, oh, no, that tumor's gone. No, the tumor is there and we need to remove, and we can't just absolutely excise it. We have to really treat it. We have to genuinely treat it and make sure that people know that it's there so they can be mindful of it and take care of the problem. So, yeah. Um... That's about the whole I really had to say on the subject. So we'll see if it comes up again. I don't. I don't have any plans on bringing it up again unless I can really get a a major like roundtable discussion going on. Because I would much rather hear other people's opinions than just continue to espouse my own on this subject. So, yep. Um, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at gummycatnetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. While you're here, check out all of our other fine programming. We've got, um, we should hopefully have some new Living in the Stacks coming soon. Uh, we're trying to work on it now that I've um, started to move. Now that I've moved back to stately Bailey Manor, Bailey Family Manor, uh, I might be able to get some reading done. Uh, but I need to work on. I need to get caught up on my other work stuff too, and take care of you know other things. But hopefully, I can get though get some my, my own microfiches done. Dex is working on one, so we should hopefully have one out fairly soon. Um, but uh, you can also check out uh, Dungeons and Dragon types every other week. We have a new episode coming out. Uh, we should, and we, and next, I think this coming week is the one where um, they have a whole, they have a whole, uh, um, like fight against burglars and such. Uh, you, you have to pay attention for that. Uh, that's coming out this week, and then. Um, uh, you can also check out all of Donna's stuff at Snarkast, uh, uh, Beyond the Camp of the Woods, Once More with Feeling, The Family Business, and, you know, if you're a fledgling podcaster and would like to join our little network, you can do so by sending us inquiries at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. 
You can also find us on your various podcast providers. We are at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. And if you were not on your podcast platform of choice, let us know so we can add it, add ourselves to it. And be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also uh, find us on social media. We're at uh, Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie, Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, Letterboxd. I'm most active there <laughs> anymore because I'm giving my written reviews. Uh, so that's letterboxd.com uh, slash corn junkie pod. Uh, Instagram, popcorn junkie podcast. Uh, Stardust, popcorn junkie. And then uh, I think that's, that'll be, that's kind of where you can hit me up. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. Uh, you can get all 10 episodes each of Munch Along and make a better movie. I'm hoping to try, I would love to get enough people. Uh, going to start the Munchalongs again. I would love to do those kind of like riff tracksy sort of commentaries on uh, make them make you know joke em ups of um, of popular movies or whatnot, and then um, or maybe like bring back make a better movie for the main feed as like a segment when I've got nothing else to talk about. We'll see. Uh, and of course, you can always suggest content for me for me to review, like Mar did with Fast Color. So if you've got a thing that you would love to hear me discuss and break down and review, uh, you can do suggest it to me uh, on Patreon.com/slash/PopcornJunkie for as little as one dollar a month. No tier system there. Little as one dollar a month, you get all those rewards plus early access to new episodes when they come out. And then uh, I think that's about it. You can just send everything else to PopcornJunkiePodcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, uh, until next time, I'm John Bailey, and uh, stay safe out there, everybody. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And... You know, today and tomorrow, now and forever, Black Lives Matter, trans, ri- trans rights are human rights. <laughs> <laughs>